Hey everybody, 11th of August. Uh, it's a crazy time of year for us um, getting ready to go into the Illinois State Fair with cattle this morning. The juniors went in yesterday, by the way. So, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, the State Fair starts. No, the State Fair really, really starts on the Monday before it starts for a lot of people. Uh, a lot, now, a lot of people go down on uh, Saturday and Sunday the weekend before and set up stalls and set up pens and tie-outs and all kinds of stuff, get a lot of equipment in there. And then a lot of people will bring another load in Monday night before they bring the junior cattle in Tuesday. Now, last night, Judy and I brought a load of stuff in on Tuesday night before we bring the open cattle in on Wednesday. So we'll be there today. Uh, we'll be at State Fair tomorrow. Uh, we'll be at State Fair Friday. We'll be there Saturday. Uh, we show Sunday, and they're showing both the purebred and the percentage scimitols all uh, on Sunday. The purebreds are going to be normal time Sunday morning, and then the percentages are going to be Sunday afternoon. And uh, they're going to be after another breed. And so it's, it's going to be a little bit later. Um, going to be interesting. The dairy people like to move in on top of us on Sunday afternoon. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes since we're still going to be showing cattle. Uh, what a bunch of the, what a bunch of, when they normally would, would come in. Because the dairy cattle go in the barns behind us. We have to get out of the barns on Sunday so they can clean them out. So the dairy people can go in, but um, it's hot, it's miserable. The humidity is a hundred percent almost. Eight. The other day it was eighty-eight percent humidity. So when you talk about cutting the air with a knife, it's pretty thick. A lot of moisture in the air. Uh, been some thunderstorms north of us uh, so far. Knock on wood, we've we've avoided most of that. But I'm sure. Considering Friday is supposed to be 10 degrees cooler than Thursday, we're setting ourselves up for another one of those big Thursday night uh, thunderstorms at the Illinois State Fairground. And we've there's been some doozies on some Thursday nights. Um, of course, there was the big one on that Friday night uh, when it rained like, I don't know, seven, eight inches down there. And it all came at once and it flooded Happy Hollow. And it was, it was, it was a, it, you had water running out of the electric plug-ins in the junior building. Um, lack of a better thing, we can, it's a state fair, you can always have some wild weather. Okay, now let's uh, uh, talk about the thing that I was going to talk about today. And to you grain farmers, this probably won't interest you much, but you got all these experts out there talking about cow size, cow size, cow size, cow size. We need smaller cows. We need smaller cows. We need smaller cows. Well, the, the, a number of you know this. My wife, Judy, has her meat broker's license. There's a lot of people that like big steaks. Now, you can put a big top in them. You can get a big ribeye uh, on, on not a, a really big animal. But I can tell you, to get those big steaks... And to get those 1,700-pound finished steers that you need to have those big steaks, you ain't doing that with a little cow. Now, I know you're, the vast majority are going to say, oh, but for the average farmer, for the average guy. Well, this cattle business is segmented in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things done for reasons. 
And I can use the purebred cattle business as an example. Now, the cattle that you're showing in that may, may be smaller in statue, may be that size, but if you got cows that you're putting high dollar embryos, and I've seen embryos sell for $3,000 an embryo, I've seen them sell for $2,000, I've seen them sell for $400, but still, even if it's an $800,000 embryo with the potential for probably an eight dollars to $10,000 calf, you sure don't want to lose it. And a big old cow with a big old pelvic measurement is really, really nice because she can have those calves without any problem. She can take care of those calves without any problem. And I was just reading, and this is what kind of set me off. This expert, he's from Louisiana. Uh, and of course, I, I know what the cow they're going to raise in Louisiana is going to be different than the cow we raise here in Illinois. But he was talking about, oh, you, 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 you can't have any cows over 1,200 pounds. Your cows can't be over 1,200 pounds. And, and one of the reasons they can't take the heat. And I'm sitting there going, what? Can't take the heat. I can tell you the number one thing I can do to make a cow take the heat better is change the color of her hide from black to like a light red or white. And we got some red cows. We got some of those that are that are almost kind of a um, uh, kind of a light, uh, kind of a, a strawberry blonde color almost. They're pretty. They're a real light red. And I tell you, they'll be out walking around the pasture eating while all the black ones are up underneath the shade tree, hanging out because they're hot because the 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 hide now now the color of the hide the black color of the hide just sucks in more heat but okay angus beef has done a tremendous job of talking about angus beef angus beef angus beef angus beef so we've we've made this cow herd uh black hided well i know this much if i was in the commercial cow business I'd have a whole bunch of red cows and I'd run black bulls on them and I'd get black calves and I'd go on down the road. And, and the other thing I find interesting about Angus beef, only like over 50% of the load has to be black hided and they don't technically have to be Angus. They can be Simital, they can be Limazon, they can be Gelby, they can be whatever. Of course, the Angus people are going to argue, well, you needed Angus genetics to, to get that black hide. Well, yeah, but... You know, and, and black is dominant. I mean, let's just throw that out there. But, you know, well, the other thing, the other, the other determining factor, too, how well cow takes the heat is how well they slick shear off their hair. Now, like I said, we've raised, we raised some club calf stuff. We raise uh, some purebred cattle. And for those shoke-type cattle, you need really, really good hair. Well... One thing we've learned on some of those that make the really, really good hair is they don't shuck the hair off during the summertime. So how do we get around that, you say? Real easy. My daughter gets a set of clippers out in the spring of the year, generally in about May. She washes them off. She blows them off. They're all ex-show heifers or they've all, been, they've all been around that stuff anyway. And she peels the hair off of them. And if they get hot later in the summer, she'll peel the hair off of them again. I know they're going to say, oh, that's a lot of mange. But yeah, but, but... You know, I've we we've sold several eight thousand dollar heifers 
and then we sold half of a cow for a lot of money. Not going to get into it, but a lot of money. Uh, you can put up with a little hand labor taking care of some hair management if you can sell some higher dollar stuff. Sorry, but you can. Now, we also raised some, some numbered commercial production-oriented cattle. The numbered stuff. And, you know, there's one of the big numbered bulls that they were really promoting, and we had a pretty nice cow with good numbers. She didn't have great numbers, but she had good numbers. And we bred her to that high-performance bull, and that heifer bust behind those front shoulders. I, I'm just, you know, some of, the, some of these people ran after the numbers so hard they lost sight of what a, a cow should look like and function like and structurally be like. Uh and I can tell you that it, that also, if I was in the commercial cow business and I was selling calves, the number one number I'd look at is weaning weight. Because that's what you're selling, is weaned weight. And I'd want a high weaning weight number on them. And I get it. Uh, everybody wants a, wants, a, wants a real high calving ease. They want a low birth weight, high calving ease, so they don't have any problems. And they're looking for these curve benders that have, you know, low birth weight and high growth. But some of those you get into these structural problems and everything else. Um, but back to the original premise. The, uh, a 1,200-pound cow can't take the heat. I got some big cows that can take the heat better than the little cows. And I have you come out here and you can come out on a hot day and you can look at them and you can see that. You know, I hate to say it, but and I'm going to come down on some of the agronomists and the extension specialists and some of the so-called experts out there. You got to watch making broad-based statements because it's not always technically true. And there's always exceptions to the rule. Be careful what you ask for; you just might get it. But to just but to just say that a, a bigger than 1,200-pound cow can't take the heat. And I can tell you the number one thing I can do to, to, to improve the cow's ability to take the heat is to change the color of the hide. And that has nothing to do with size. Absolutely nothing to do with size. But oh well, I digress. <clears throat> Big reports getting ready to come out here in another day. Um, everybody's getting ready for that. Market's kind of flat in anticipation. Um, a lot of people have asked me what I think. USDA is notorious for, for stepping things up or stepping things down. You know, I, I uh, okay, a little bit over a year ago, we weren't going to export near the corn that we ended up exporting. Well, how many revisions did it take them to go from one to the other? And, and I can tell you, my opinion, they knew in August and September that the Chinese were buying corn left and right, and that the Chinese had all that flooding, and that the Chinese had problems, and that there was going to be a lot of corn moved. But yet it still took them eight revisions to get up to the number where a lot of private analysts had gotten in about a month. They, they run the risk if, if it takes them a long time to get to the correct numbers, and I don't know what the correct numbers are, and sometimes you don't really find out the correct numbers until not, not that final report in January, but the revisions the next year in the January report that are really correct in the year before. So let's say the, this 2021 crop 
that would be in January of 23, maybe even January 24 when they do some revisions, that you really get an idea of what actually really happened back then. But the, the slow step up and the slow step down, and I know they don't want to affect the markets and all that other kind of stuff, but they run the risk of being irrelevant on their numbers. Getting to the point where people are going to start just watching the private industry and just saying that it doesn't matter what they come out with, they being the USDA, because we know it's not where the, where the conditions actually are right now. Now, the big managed money, the institutional investors and that, they're still looking at USDA. Um, that's, that's the gold standard. But they may get tired of these numbers not just taking a long time to get to where they need to get to. And I know there's some people out there still questioning the math on some things. Some math coming out of South America, some math coming out of other places. And, and eventually the market will either prove them right or prove them wrong. But if it takes you too long to get there this day and age with all the social media and everything else you have, um, you're, you're going to eventually become, why bother listening to them? Well, hey, to the smartest audience in agriculture. Thanks for listening.